0: You? She? No. You're a dragon. Be a dragon.
1: This is for all the girls who grew up without strong geek role models to help them discover their geek dreams.
0: For everyone who's ever been quizzed about their video game knowledge, because girls don't play girls games. Don't play games.
1: Geek Hearing is working to bring female identifying geeks into their prime to be the role models, dreams, and voices. Are you ready for
0: this? Welcome to Geek Herring, a critical geek culture podcast where we talk the good and the bad parts of being a chick in a male-dominated environment. Hi, I'm Amanda, and with me today I have my awesome, wonderful, beautiful, hilarious, marvelous, delightful co-host, Monica. Hi,
1: I, I love that you just uh, forgot what other words you can use, but I feel you on that.
0: <laughs> How are you doing? I am doing really good,
1: thanks. How are you? I'm Somewhat okay, might not sound like it, but
0: other than that, all good in the hood. So long as you're in good health, good spirits, maybe not necessarily good health. Good spirits. I'm definitely in good spirits
1: because we have a guest on today. Yay! Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Our guest, and that's why I'm just a tiny bit excited. I might be slightly biased, Our guest is Sol Haring, which is my, or was my, lecturer at university back in the days. Hi, Sol.
2: Hi, Moni. I'm so glad I don't have you sitting in my lectures anymore. I'm sure she was annoying. (laughs) She was. No, she was the best. It was just a joke. She was the best. I told Amanda the story already. She was the best. She's uh, fixing all the stuff that needs to be fixed technically in the lecture rooms, in the seminar rooms. So that was wonderful.
1: Tech can't own me. I own
2: tech. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, it was the start of a great uh, relationship work-wise, too. Because if you wouldn't have uh, let me know in a very interesting email that you were prepared to work for me, we wouldn't work together and now yeah. we're working together for several years already
1: yeah what is the lesson now prostitution works <laughs> prostitution works <laughs> basically Saul was my lecturer at university I already said that but in the most amazing topics we did gender studies together or you at least you do gender studies and i missed you or something new media and aging right So maybe you want to tell us more about you. What do you want to know? Where I'm from?
2: I am from Austria.
0: Yes! (laughs) I'm now the minority.
2: (laughs) But I have spent several years, 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 (laughs) drinking cup of taste at the University of East London. And I did not pick up any kind of accent. Then I have spent some time in New York City. I do Schwarzenegger English. Yes, I can do that. And so some of my uh, interesting uh, lectures at at, uh, university are in English because we need to do English lectures. Nobody wants to do that, but I like to do that. And so when my students are really scared, I tell them, don't worry. I will let you know how I speak English and then I start with a Schwarzenegger accent and with other accents and they like it. And then I always say, and now you can speak Styrian English, which is the area where we are in the university. What's important for me is I'm not a university employee. I'm, I'm going there to give lectures and to the university seminars. So um, I am not employed, but I go there to teach and otherwise I'm self-employed. I have a uh, own little research film firm and do other stuff too, like the last project I'm I'm doing, creating uh, pictures and photographs too. So that's actually something I really enjoy. So I'm working out of an old farmhouse when I'm not a a lecturer at the university. And uh, I'm now in a moment sitting in my um, video studio with the monitors and uh, the audio and everything because I'm finishing my um, film on empowerment and active aging. Which is due like in February. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, we still have February people. <laughs> yes. And actually, um,
2: I got a prolongation.
1: Oh, yeah, that's um, nice.
2: Yeah. But Moni is involved in that because Moni, I I, I told her, can you please help me film? And she said, yeah, I will do that. And so um, I had Moni as a camera woman and as a technician, sometimes as a photographer with me. And I also invite her for every film to check on my graphics because I think (laughs) she really thinks I have a really bad taste and bad skills when it comes to graphics. So I found out that she's really good in that. So she's always doing the graphics for things like, um, Amanda, you might not know that anymore, but there was some kind of medium called a DVD. And so <laughs> my um, person who gives me the money sometimes wants a DVD. And so then we make a booklet together. It's, it's like a little disc, you know, You're, you <laughs> might have seen it. You put it in a player, you need a DVD player for that. That's very inconvenient, but people liked it. Back at the days, you know, in the days, yeah.
0: At least we're not talking about VHS tapes right now because I might look at you a bit weird if we were still making some VHS, but DVDs are in, in the realm of possibility. But now they're on YouTube, so they will never be lost.
2: You never know because YouTube is going uh, funky now with all the laws. And so you never know what will hit them. If they will really have to pay the artists or the filmmakers, they'll be deeply in trouble and they might have to close down a lot of areas, which they do already. They have YouTube Pro. So the Article will...
1: 13 issue, you mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Ooh, Article 13.
2: Yeah, I'm an artist, so <laughs> I, have, I, have, I must say it would be nice if you would get something from for your work too. You know, mm. I'm a musician and a filmmaker, so um, that's an interesting discussion. But we won't solve this. But that's an interesting dis- discussion um, where we have to rethink copyright totally. Because for artists, it's now in the moment, it's not possible to earn anything with a music, like in pop and rock culture. It's not, it's very hard.
0: Before we just let you have free reign and talk away, we're going to get into our rapid fire round, which is where we fire questions at you and you answer them as quick as you can. Okay. Okay. So you've already kind of answered this, but where in Austria are you from? I'm from Graz, Styria. Here, there's good vegan food there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and when are you a geek since? I guess when I was a
2: little girl. Maybe not in a real technician uh, way, but in a kind of documentary way.
0: Do you have a story of your first geeky experience?
2: Sitting with two bra- with hair in braids and a latz hose. How do you say this?
0: Oh, overalls of- or coveralls. Over- yeah, something overalls.
2: like overalls. On the garden door and documenting, um, like a, you know, yeah, like a researcher, how many people would go pass by and how many birds on which tree, like a scientist's growing. Because I always wanted to be a scientist, so I think that was kind of geekish. And a little side story: I bought in, I don't know, in the eighties maybe a skateboard at the viennese flea market and they went home and the i don't know how how do you say the kugel lager do you know that money the the, the wheels have yeah. little little um things in it all so, little yeah and so i took that apart that's the end of the story <laughs> <laughs> inquisitive from the start yep not so much putting together but taking apart yeah.
0: <laughs> which is like ground research you know <laughs> yeah definitely just out of curiosity do you know your myers-briggs type because you sound very istp to me <laughs> uh i i have made
2: that when i was in florida a couple of years ago and i forgot about the concept and i forgot what i am but if you're interested i can send it to you somehow i find it <laughs> i have no idea what is that what is that type that
0: you're categorizing me already <laughs> the ISTP it's uh I, I'm an ISTP we're very rare and we like to take things apart and find out how they work okay um very like technical minded analytical
2: yeah but uh, I don't and, but really also quite
0: creative as well
2: I'm not so much so. putting things together so there must be yeah. one letter missing Briggs.
1: <laughs>
0: Still, I'm not. What are your biggest geeky influences? So you can think in the realms of like books, movies, TV shows, teachers, games, um, scientists. I think Moni. (laughs) (laughs) That's a praise show today for me.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not only does she de-stress me when I'm in the end phase of a project, she says always, Soul, don't stress (laughs) <laughs> we'll get that done. She always shows me something new on the, uh, or sometimes on programs that she just opened because yeah. she never saw that before. So that is very interesting. <laughs> like in the Premiere CC, you just tell me things. So that's good. I don't know. I mean, I must say, I don't have um, this kind of, uh, I'm not a Star Wars person. I'm not a Harry Potter person. <gasps> How dare uh, you? <laughs> I so don't care. I like cats. Not the musical, though. <laughs> Cats are cool. <laughs> I hate the mu- I hate musicals. Maybe that's something <laughs> to put there. I mean, if we think in, an, in a Haraway sense, I think I like uh, women that let you guess about their femininity and masculinity and their identity. That's something I, I think that's great. If they, they let you guess about their thoughts, about their theories, and also their bodies. So like a Patty Smith uh, musician and a Haraway theorist, something like that.
0: Do you have any current geek pastimes?
2: Actually, I'm not so sure if I understand the word geek right, even though I use it. But what I do is if I'm interested in something, I look at videos, how things work. So for instance, uh, if I use, I use, I'm using the cop effect for videos, A lot now because of the new guidelines (laughs) and I was trying to find out if there is any quicker way in doing that the Premiere Pro the new one lets you do that so easy and I found some great tutorials and I look at it and when I look at the tutorial I make the parallel I make the thing that they say I have to do so I have instant um, success or failure (laughs) (laughs) I love that and yeah and, and I'm I think th- this is something I do a lot, I look up little things and you know I'm also a hardware person because with the guitars and the basses I, I need to know how sound works and so I have to understand how amps work and how effects um, on the floor, the little buttons work and so I'm trying to to do this too. Even though I have a man on my side who, whenever there is anything wrong with the technical parts, he screams, but he fixes it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <It's good. laughs> so, as, so for us, basically geeky is everything that you're dedicated to. So I would say that your 50-somewhat passes already count as being geeky about something. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I'm not. I'm not sure if I have fifty,
2: but oh, if no. I was now, don't start with it because if we start with it, we can't stop. I'm not interested in the theory of how something works. I'm not a handbook reader. I'm a total experimental person who afterwards has to fix the shit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: which, which is interesting, though, considering you turned out to be a scientist at some point.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd rather write the handbook than read it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you have to do the groundwork for that as well, so that must interest you.
2: Yeah, but the groundwork, that's uh, what maybe defines my work at university or at research. The groundwork is working with the people, not with the books.
1: So why did you decide to become a scientist then, basically? I told you before I was I, I I had this
2: feeling I didn't even know what this job meant when I was a kid but I was looking for data because somebody in school said you can write a research diary so when I was a little girl I was looking for data all over the house and the and the place and I thought that's research so I was doing grounded theory when I was twelve, even though I didn't call it that way. That was something I wanted to do. And school was really hard because I didn't know why I should learn facts or geography. I did not understand. But if you would tell me a story and make me understand something, then I was interested. So it was very easy for me to go into qualitative research later and to to do grounded theory and to to think about documentary as a research tool. To represent underprivileged groups, like for instance older people, mm-hmm. so to have a vo- make a voice for them, you know, that's a very uh, non-objective way of researching, very <laughs> intersubjective way. Yeah, yeah, give them a voice and be on their side,
0: differentiated but be on their side. Wow! So that's how you got into like research with older people, but there was, you you research more. Um, you've got a few other fields of research, right?
2: I have uh, more fields because we, uh, with my videography that I do, it's a research method where you document interactions between people on camera. So you look for interactions. And I did that for a kindergarten research and for a school research, so for other stuff as well. So that makes my portfolio maybe wider. But it's hard for me always to say that is my research field. But if I look into it, a lot of it is about aging and the construct of aging and gender, about doing aging and doing gender as concepts. That's something I'm looking into. But sometimes I do films that have not so much to do. But there is one film, Moni, can you remember? The one with the green room that you you did not do camera, but you know the film?
1: You mean the one with Dani? I sent that to Amanda before we got on the call about the Gaga
0: feminism. Yeah, that was a really interesting watch.
2: Yeah, did you like it? Yeah. So this is something um, I did as a no-budget production With Dani, a researcher, gender researcher, who lives now in Akron, Ohio, we did that on uh, someone called Jack Halberstam. She slash he is a researcher in uh, Berkeley who is thinking about how can you play with children and not try to serve the typical female male categories. Mm -hmm. Jack Halberstam is doing a very playful intervention with children but also wants to do this with grown-ups because what he slash she thinks is that we all are missing humor in our feminist gender studies work (laughs) which is true
1: it is true you were talking about doing gender just before i recall that from many moons ago from uni (laughs) so is that your general standpoint on how gender in general constitutes itself and can you tell us what it is
2: yeah i tell you first what it is if you think of i tell you so many as if you wouldn't know i don't know amanda but i tell i tell the greater yeah. audience maybe if you think of how we create our own f- femininity and masculinity every day, we unconsciously perform it every day. Like Every day with our outfits, with wh- the way how we react on somebody who talks to us, how we talk to somebody, how we walk the street, how we get angry or how we interact with people and things. This is the way, it's always a gendered way, something that... We learned from our parents and schools and peers that in the scientific world, this kind of performing our own gendered identity is called with the concept doing gender, the same also, you can see with aging because doing aging is it's like the same thing that means we behave in a certain way if we are twenty or forty or sixty, so that people uh, recognize how old we are and behave the right way in the category fitting or outstanding, not really in the category fitting with the doing. Aging, it's interesting because society is so youth oriented So we all want to be active and we all want to be able to do everything very long in our life. So doing aging sometimes becomes competition on being the youngest, even when you're old. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Young and fit, you know, like this. So doing aging can be really hard too on us. But there's two different concepts. When I uh, was socialized into feminist or gender studies, um, it was in the 90s, and the concept of Judith Butler's uh, performativity, that we create our gender every day, was not in our German discourse yet, because the German women, they said... Nonsense. Women are a political uh, subject. We need the political subject and you cannot deconstruct that. That would be total fatal for our uh, political work. So in the 90s, even though the discourse comes from, from the Americans then, I was in women's groups and I would say, Uh, Shut the fuck up with deconstruction. (laughs) That's not working out. You cannot do that. That's wrong. There is a man and a woman, nothing else. There's nothing in between. I was very straight in my feminist, old-fashioned views. Really? That was your approach? That was my approach. I thought, what the fuck? You can't deconstruct anything. It's there. Can't you see it? So now then I developed, because I also went to Bremen, to Germany, and studied for a year there, and was able to read some interesting uh, texts. One of them is Evelyn Fox Keller. Some interesting texts. And then I started to somehow smell... What's really going on? I understood. So I understood, okay, deconstruct doesn't mean destroy, but deconstruct means to see the categories in their items that they're made of. So see a whole, maybe a whole line. And then you can see that in a binary way, man and woman is very separated. But if you put it on one line, you can see something fluid in between. You can see that there are so many feminine men, so many masculine women. And um, it's not because they get another category that they're gay on them, you know, like a stamp, like this. But you can see so many differences within the groups and you can see how many contradictions there are. So what female is and what male is. I just understood that. So unless you can find something better within the next 20 years where I'm consciously trying to find new theories about it. In a moment, there is nothing better out as the deconstruction theory that is now 25 years old or even 30 years old. And there is nothing better because the only thing that changed is that it has won a wider acceptance because the now feminist groups that do not believe in uh, philosophical approaches, they understand that deconstruction does not mean to kill off the subject or women and discrimination that is going on in the society. So yeah, that's my approach and I'm sticking to it until something else (laughs) comes along and I will maybe hopefully not be so silly like in the first time where I thought that can't be true. (laughs)
1: But I do feel that you have to be able to admit that you're growing and then and that your opinions change after a while because some people just like stand on their opinions and don't move in either direction. But if you see that this might be working for you in the moment but not after a while and then adjust how you think about things, that's a positive way to go. I think tell, telling your younger self that it was stupid it's not helping. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you're always so strict, even with my younger self. I think it was it was good that I had the possibility to understand it, but it was not possible for me to understand it in the women's group in Graz, mm. where my fellow gender discussants were um, taken aback of my aggressive way of communicating. So <laughs> oh, what the fuck, you know? I mean, I think once I was thrown out of the group because I had a too male attitude of communicating which at that time made me really proud so that kind of <laughs> soul's heartliner was there and that I'm I'm not so proud about that because I think we can all learn to Talk with
1: more respect
2: to each other.
1: And I think sometimes things take a while to sit because I remember sitting in your lecture um, in the first one that we had, and that was still in the bachelor studies. And you were sitting there and saying, it was a talk about gender. And you were saying, maybe you will to, to the entire class you said, maybe at some point you will not be able to tell who's male and who's female anymore in your lives. Maybe I will already see that. That's what you said. And I was sitting there thinking how do you mean not see that and it took me it seriously took me until conchita Wurst was at eurovision for us to then realize what you actually meant by that because it's like yeah people are so irritated by the fact that they can't Tell if she is male or female. But in the moment when you told us that, I couldn't comprehend properly. And I think sometimes it takes a while in the head yeah. to develop what's going on. And that's, I think, is sometimes really important to notice that sometimes things need to sink in as well. Mm-hmm. I start my
2: lectures now on gender and women's studies introduction. I start with a comic that says, don't assume my gender. Mm-hmm. And they make them guess what it means because gender is not a word. It's an English phrase. So gender is not a word they they know is a positive concept. Most of them. <laughs> and then uh, it's interesting how this year both groups, you know, it's 110 people. Both of them were very interested and very smart about it. So they figure out that you should not think of somebody's gender identity just because this person looks a biological way you know mm-hmm. nevertheless the biological way could be totally wrong too mm-hmm. you know so it's interesting So that's what they do in the first class, you know. And then I'm very uh, open with them. I say, how do you feel if you see a person and you do not know if this person is a woman or a man? Because we are in a very normativity world where we think it's always like that and there is woman and man and most of them are hetero and so blah, blah, blah. And what happens if you see somebody where you do not know it? And then they are very astonished when I say, for me, it's also an irritation because we do not have so many examples, and there is a lot of passing going on. You know, passing as a woman mm-hmm. or a man, because a lot of people who um, maybe ha- are intersex or are transgender or perform in a, a drag queeny and drag kingy way. They want to pass in a heteronormative way. They want to pass when they look like a man. They want us to believe they are a man who's hetero, you -hmm. know? So it's really hard. It's not sometimes it's not the trans people who are the most, the best example to see the openness because sometimes they don't want the openness. They want to pass in this norm world. Do you understand what I mean? Or
1: So basically what you're saying is it's also a, reconstruction of something that actually is fluid but by redefining themselves again as male on that part they are also reproducing or reconstructing it like that you know
2: in the hardest case you can say by talking about it we are reconstructing it again Because if I state that this is a normative concept, Mm -hmm. that heteronormativität is the concept of the winners, Mm -hmm. I would uh, make it more fixed again. But as we know, there is no chance that we should not talk about it. So we have to figure out very careful ways in trying to teach and talk in a non-binary way. And you know what a kind of class clown I am. So I'm more a comedian in my in my group. So that's very hard for me because I go with the blank stereotypes and <laughs> shock them with that. So I'm not the very calm,
1: sensitive, bi- non-binary person. But I try. I know, I know it in theory. <laughs> People connect to you more easily, I think, through that. I mean, that's how it was for me. So It's easier to question things when you also have humor to it. So because I remember when we were talking about gendered language in in class with you and I even dared to ask the question how, how far should this go? Not in a, I'm not doing this so far, but in a, Am I doing it right, Far? And you said, well, you can't say the female version of municipality, for example. Bundesländerinnen. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that. <laughs> and that was just like, yeah. yeah, I hear you on that. And that the fun yeah. aspect to all of it makes it more approachable to people.
2: Yeah, I know. It might be a trick of mine because sometimes inside me I'm cooking up, you know, form <laughs> if people ask me what, why they should gender You know, use the Mm. gender uh, sensitive forms. Uh, It's such a harassment of language, they would say, and it's such a waste of time. And then Mm -hmm. I'm cooking but then i can do a little fun thing and then i can tell them how important this is because our language creates reality and mm-hmm. that's what i tell them afterwards and if somebody is not part of our language this person is not part of our reality i'm talking about variety but also about women mm-hmm. if we talk about that i always say listen up think of the surgeon who operated yesterday in Graz, and they just make them think of a surgeon. And in Austria, you would say "Chirurg" as a surgeon, or "Chirurgin" for a for a female surgeon. And you know, in Austria, they would say something like, "But we mean the woman also if we say the male version of the name. The woman is included. But if I tell my students to think of a surgeon, they would tell me how he looks like." He's mm-hmm. an old guy with a <laughs> s- sloppy beard. A straight white I, man. How, yeah, they, <laughs> they create a straight white man. Even though I told them before, they cannot include somebody in language by, me, by, by taking them on board with, with calling them a man's name. So even even then they say this is this old guy with the white shoes and the white coat who goes into a certain operation room. And then they understand mm. because it's a very simple way of making people understand. If you think of a pilot, if you give a little girl a piece of paper and tell her to paint a pilot, that in 99% she will paint a man. That's how infiltrated we are already. And so to not go on with this, we have to do some educational uh, work and we have to make people aware of helping others to see variety. That's where I show my students the Pilotin, which is the women's pilot and the Pilot, the Pilot. that does not mean that she has to have any feminist, uh, feminine, <laughs> feminist features would be great with the pilot, <laughs> but feminine features, but just to see that there is maybe a difference. And here we are, you know, and uh, in talking like this, it occurs to you now that there is not a possibility to do a non-binary in this kind of political situation because it's very hard to. You can bring in a transgender pilot and. Uh, Um, uh, intersex pilot, but it's very hard to not talk in categories because we have one category that is uh, underrepresented, that is less paid, that's the women. And so we have to think of them still as a group, as a political subject.
1: Okay. That's basically the problem that we're always having. Like on the one hand, we say... By talking about it, we create it as well. But there is still the problem that the groups of women and the groups of when we talk about intersectional feminism of black women, for example, they're all underrepresented. And by not talking about it, it's not solving anything. So we have to talk about it. But at the same time, now we're creating all of it. So that's always a thin line to walk on, I think.
2: Yeah, I don't know if there is
1: a solution. But
2: what you can do is you can talk about non-binary. And you can talk about that fighting against discrimination is building categories in, uh, that's not about the women, but it is about those who are called women that get paid less, you know? So you can, you can try to, to talk about it and mention it. It's a thin line. Anita Mert is writing about this or was writing about this. And I wrote about it with her, an article even in English. We were documenting a gender sensitive training for uh, middle school professors that we did 10 years ago. <laughs> teaching teachers, first of all, <laughs> teaching gender sensitivity to teachers. I am a very engaged teacher, but this is something I would not do for a lot of money again. But I have a whole pool of colleagues who do a great job on this. so We can invite them over and can tell them that there are more jobs for this. I don't do it anymore. No!
1: So you went into schools to educate teachers on gender sensitive language and everything?
2: And into universities to educate the professors, head of schools. It was a treat. <laughs> it sounds like it. Some of the seminars were good, but some of it it was just very hard because this is such a private topic too. And people are so they are so stuck in their own trying to be a natural woman or man, making their career because they are so good and not because there are a man or a woman who got uh, more benefit from at home, you know. So it's really hard to, to make them see this uh, society's roles that we have and not putting them off that they are not so good as they think they are. Like a f- physics professor, a female physics professor who does not have any young female staff. It's weird, right? Because normally if you if you have a woman on top, you would just see how you can try to get a tighter network and make it possible for other women. But women's solidarity is in this kind of heteronormativity in our society, it's not a big topic. Because women want to be on top because they are so good and not because they are women. Same with fans, rock bands. You won't see a really good singer-songwriter with an all-female band. She's picking out of the best, and the best are the millions of guitar players that are male and not the dozens of guitar players who are female. You have to see that, that we have a very male-oriented music world and university world.
1: Is it just because it's easier
2: or because it's competition? It's um, both, because it's easier to find the real good ones and you are in a competition and you want to have the best and the best is easier to find in a pool of thousands and thousands of young rock guitar players that are male because the number of females in rock is so much smaller so much smaller so you have sometimes maybe you, I have heard this a lot in my lifetime maybe not not to me but just to other people she plays the guitar like a man <laughs> <laughs> like any old man or a good guitar player man you know but like a man means you're like a man
1: <laughs> but it's interesting that it even happens with guitar playing because that's not something that's I don't know. Then you get um, some homework today to look up
2: uh, one or two of your favorite bands and see in the background who plays the instruments.
0: Yeah, that's very true. One of my best friends is a a bass player. um, He's male um, and he's in a, a folk band's. And they're all, well, a lot of them are headed by a woman. And then her backband is, Is they're, they're all male. And now you can say that's natural because women just can sing. And the boys are so good
2: musicians. Or you can just say this is some cultural habit that we recreate our own pictures of how life should be and this is how we think life should be a singer, even if she's the band leader, singer-songwriter and the whole group of boys supporting her this is a picture we like and pictures we like, we're a stupid society, we recreate all the time.
0: So you were saying about bringing more non-binary language into use um, and and you work with schools for that, how can we bring more non-binary language into our everyday lives?
2: Oh, I'm not sure if I can transport that so good, maybe with Moni's help to English. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, in German, you can say student or studentin, which is student, as you can hear, or a student version with a I-N at the end, it's always the female version. So not to say this, you would say Studierende, which is a neutral, in-between term for it. And this you would try to to do as often as you can. And uh, if it's not possible, you would use the two forms at least. So it's like a step into a direction of not being stuck to, say, man and woman. But that's actually the first step for a society because it's all male in Austria in German language, but it doesn't matter. So that means bring in the women in the language, but also try to bring in the non-binary by trying to find one word that fits all. A very nice word is the word person. The Person. Mm-hmm. This is something that means men and women and in between. So you can use this too. So I don't know of any other words, but I have a list somewhere. So I've put that together for my students. But now on the top of my head, I can't think of, but you can, you can think of your, for
1: yourself. I'm wondering in the English language, it doesn't really translate that well, does it? So your words, student is There is no female version for it, is it?
0: Yeah, but think of words
2: like actor and actress. Mm -hmm. Language is developing, so the female version was getting redundant somehow, Mm -hmm. you know? So that means you can bring it in again if it's possible. Mm -hmm. This is the one thing, but I'm not sure if there is a word for if person is maybe the same example
0: i for one like i and i know monica as well a a wee bit guilty of referring to groups of people as 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 guys or as dudes yeah yeah, dudes very specifically for monica yeah but Um, dudes good (laughs) yeah but instead of saying like guys and gals or dudes and dudettes like because they are gendered words um I, for me personally, like I'm trying to be more conscious of this and bringing in more non-binary words like friends and yeah and geeks. What I saw recently, also instead of guys and
1: girls, was folks.
2: Yeah, folks. Yeah, That's strange, but yes. Uh, I think it, what I really like is to use typical male names for women's groups. That's also good because. Then you make fun of it, or you use it like a, like a rebellion kind mm-hmm. of word, like um, like the riot girls did, you know, in the nineties. They would just use bad women words. For, them, for themselves, like slut and whore, they would use that and for this, they would take the power out of this negative word because it will take the power out of this enemy. And maybe not the dudes, but I tell you what, in Graz there is a group of uh, women's musicians, they are called the hot lonesome dudes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah.
2: So yeah, um, what I think is we always have to think educational. That means you have to First of all, make people understand that the women aren't part of the game. So make that understandable and then you can go into the non-binary. Because before that, if you're not stepping up and see the discrimination, you cannot do the non-binary. That's not possible. Because Mm. then you miss out to be on the way to make the the world equal for everyone. There's a huge group of women who the world is not treating right yet. So that's the steps, what I think. But you can do that, you know, like in the grounded theory research. You don't need to... Take one step after the other, but you repeat all the steps all, to, all together all the time.
1: My brain is working hardcore right now. <laughs> you, you said, What's the
2: ratio of men to women in gender scientists? Yeah. I think, I don't know that. But I know that there is a smaller number of men, but uh, these men, who are really a small number, are quite famous. So you know them. Now, there is also some transgender male-to-female researchers that are now gender uh, scientists. I will tell you the name in a minute.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, I can't can't think of her last name. Yeah, Amanda. So even though there might be more women studying gender, it would be the men are are more more well known for it.
2: No, but the men who are in this business are well known. There are a, okay. a lot of well known women in this field for sure. I saw that you have some kind of a question about the differences between the approaches. So there are different approaches. You can be a Catholic feminist nowadays. Yeah, I think it's great because you can call yourself a feminist even though you might believe. You first of all you're religious, which is um, a kind of category and then you're in a church that is not really feminist but you can be a, fe- a catholic feminist and then i make fun of this but it's not really fun because it's really serious in graz and in Styria. there's a great group of catholic feminists on the basis of working uh, for anti-discrimination for women you know so working on in a practical way in graz there is slash wars A great group of feminist theologists that were totally pro-deconstruction, that just really did a great way of Bible analytics and stuff, you know, so... Really, really a cool gang of women. And I was not very open for that in the beginning. I thought this could not be possible. But now I guess after 25 years, I've seen a lot of different feminisms. And sometimes it's hard to believe that this is feminist, but it is, you know. And so I think it's great that we can come up with one thing. We can say... Feminism means to be against patriarchy, to have a political point against patriarchy. That's it. And everything else is whatever floats your boat. You can do a riot girl (laughs) thing. You can do a punk thing. You can do a Catholic thing. And in Graz, we are very lucky to have different organizations who combine all these different views, like in the WAF women action forum we have a a feminist fire engine stuff like that where different groups and different views can come together i mean this sounds more uh, feminist romantic now because in, in real time we all have our opinions and do have our differences it's a great variety of different feminisms that is around and and i think i would advocate a feminism That sometimes is not just giving out rules and demands, but just listen, you know, just listen and see the political situation and then think about it. Because sometimes feminists are very silent if we think of an overall political situation still.
0: Um, Do you have time for me to ask you one more question? Sure. I'm going to take it right back to the beginning of our conversation when you said that there's not a lot of humor in feminism. And I totally agree with that. In your opinion, how can we bring more humor to feminism? Because I personally feel that humor makes something more approachable. So how can we do that with feminism?
2: Well, I think uh, to not take yourself seriously, be more comedian, make fun of the own things you're doing and don't get personally hurt if somebody is mean to you because you're a feminist, you know, just make it a little easier for yourself. And that doesn't mean that I don't take the topic serious, but... Uh, In some conversations, I just make fun of myself or of other people. And then it is fun. And you have to listen to pop music and rock music because there are feminist singer-songwriters out there and you can just see that it's fun. Even if you talk about uh, sexual abuse and, uh, um, and really hardcore topics, you can make a fun song, but that doesn't mean the topic itself is not serious. You know what I mean? So you can play a little bit more.
1: I think humor is always the way to go. It's not a waste of time, at least.
2: It's a great song. Humor is not a waste of time. I could bring that into the choir I'm singing with sometimes oh yeah you should do that
1: thanks for taking the time to talk feminism with us
2: that was so and much fun you. for me I could talk all the time don't call me ever again <laughs> <laughs> really it's fun thanks for the invitation I'm very proud that I could be a little geek herring in
1: your geek herring <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for doing this with
0: us okay thank you so much Sol I'm a wee old they know You like this episode of Geek Caring, why not leave us an iTunes review? You can also find us on social at caring and over on keycaring.com This show is brought to you by Dragon Powered Studio. Find more
1: at Dragon Powered Studio.com. <laughs>